Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Good afternoon, listeners. This is the Dogs Program. The Australian Council for Defence of Government Schools are here every Saturday at 12 noon to defend and to promote public education. That's education that's public in purpose and outcome. Above all, it's public in access. It's open to all children. That's fair. And it should also be publicly owned and controlled, which it isn't anymore with public-private partnerships. Because it's the only one that can possibly be publicly accountable for public monies, it's the only one that should be publicly funded and our governments, if they were genuine democratic governments and not just the servants of the wealthy and the powerful, would get on with making sure that we had a first-class public education system open for every child in this country. Now, we know this is not happening And uh, up in New South Wales in particular, uh, we're told by the Sydney Morning Herald that it's war and there's a new battle looming over public and private school funding. Well, of course, this war has been going on since state aid was given to private schools in the 1960s and it never went away. It's never been away since even the Middle Ages. But the whole idea of even having a public education system is very new indeed, historically. Our public education system in Australia is only about 150 years old and they are dealing, people who are promoting public education, are dealing with religious institutions that have been playing power games for millennia. But um, we have a press release Press release 671. I'll get Robert to tell you a bit more about what's going on with the actual funding uh, and what's happening between the state and the uh, federal ministers a bit later. But this is our press release 671 and it refers to a very prominent uh, public education apologist, a man called Ken Boston of Gonski fame. And he is mourning the loss of needs-based funding. But dogs asked, what else did he expect? Ken Boston, an ex-public school administrator, was a key member of the Gonski School Funding Review. In a speech last week to the New South Wales branch of the Australian Council of Educational Leaders, commemorating that eminent educator Dr Paul Brock, he complained that the system that has emerged from the political process is not sector-bind, needs-based funding as recommended by the Konsky Review Panel, but continues to discriminate between public and private schools. Now, neither he or his supporters are yet prepared to take the next step. They've got evidence again and again that any attempt at implementing a fair needs-based system is stymied by private school interest groups. The private sector creates inequalities. It exists to create inequalities. It is its very raison d'etre, apart from some assertions made that it's to uh, create good Christian gentlemen and ladies. The only way forward if the nation's children are to all be educated is through the sole public funding of a system open to all children, namely the public system. 
But unfortunately, neither Boston nor many public school supporters have yet developed the intestinal fortitude to take on the private religious interests and demand a stop to any public funding for their institutions. The numbers are on the national and international scoreboards. Give them time and public school supporters might get there before the hedge funds, with the help of religious interests, privatise the public system completely. The real problem is, do the next generation have the time to be anything else but clients of those in search of power and profits? Now, Trevor Cobalt of Save Our Schools has provided a summary of the Boston Lecture and we give you that reference, so you can just click on it and go straight to it. And his uh, article is full of information and it's worth a read. So this is what he has to say. Boston, he says, was particularly scathing of the secret deals negotiated with premiers, bishops and private school organisations by the Labor government in the lead-up to the 2013 election. And these side deals were actually criticised recently by the Chief Executive of the Business Council of Australia, Jennifer Westacott, who said that they should be phased out. Listeners, ever since the dogs can remember, and we've been around for 50 or 60 years, before every election, the bishops and their representatives strike deals in the corridors of power with the politicians. There's a lot of talk at the moment about uh, the multinationals and the Chinese and political donations. The Catholic Church in particular doesn't have to worry about donations. They want our money. They get our money. Uh, What they deal with are what they call the Catholic vote or the middle class, the insecure middle class vote these days. Uh, But the dogs have known about this for years. I don't know why Ken Boston should be particularly outraged by it. Boston, however, singled out the continuing use of average government school recurrent costs to determine the funding for private schools. And this was a mechanism which was criticised by the Gonski Report. And as a result, increased funding for disadvantaged students in public schools automatically generates extra funding for private schools without any consideration of disadvantage and need. As Boston says, funding for the non-government sector will therefore continue to grow regardless of need. This is most apparent in the decision of the Victorian Labor government. As soon as they got into power, who did they pay off first? They paid off the Catholic Education Office. Mr Andrews and Mr Molino did because there had been deals made. The abandonment, however, of needs-based funding is also implicit in the guarantee given to Catholic and independent schools by the Gillard and Rudd governments to at least maintain their existing shares of government funding of schools. As funding for public schools increases, all private schools, even the most wealthy, are guaranteed increases without regard to need. So Boston was critical of that, and he was also critical of continued government funding of wealthy private schools. He said it's totally unacceptable that 20 most expensive independent schools in New South Wales receive more than $110 million per year in government funding, while the gap in reading performance between the top 20% and the bottom 20% of 15-year-olds is equivalent to five years of schooling. Well, you can jump up and down as much as you like about all of this, of course. Who has got the intestinal fortitude to actually take on the main problem, which is usually the Catholic Education Office? Because, uh, well, when the dogs did it, we used to be called sectarian, but I'm not sure that uh, that has any water anymore, holds any water. And Boston and others are getting there. They're very concerned about the politicians who have reneged on funding for the final two years of the Gonski plan when some $7 billion was due to flow to schools in 2018 and 2019. And the uh, coalition government has 
released participating state governments from their commitments to increase funding so that they may remain free to substitute federal funding for their own, as they have been doing for many years. The federal government claims that funding the $7 billion for the last two years of the Gonski School funding plan is not sustainable, given the state of the federal budget. Well, perhaps if they got, this is perhaps if they got even a little bit of that money that Apple didn't pay in its taxes, then there would be no question about uh, federal budgets or debts. We need revenue here and we need the wealthy to pay their taxes and it's not happening. But as the Chief Executive of the Business Council of Australia, Jennifer Westacott, has recently said it's a false perception that there's a funding shortfall preventing us from implementing uh, this kind of needs-based approach. The consequences of the political failure on Gonski are disastrous, according to Boston, and the dogs would have to agree with him on that one. By failing to divert funding currently being spent on low-need students to high-need students, we're consigning thousands of children from disadvantaged backgrounds to the dustbin of underachievement, never realising their full potential and ensuring that our national performance in education will continue to decline. So Boston, a good Gonski man, is calling for a new national sector-bind needs-based funding system. And Trevor Cobalt agrees because he says that Australian education will not recover. Well, I'm not sure where he thinks the recovering will be. Perhaps he should look back at what it was like before state aid was actually given in the 1960s. Um, But he thinks we have to have a government prepared to establish an entirely new basis for school funding arrangements. Dogs agree with that. No state aid would just be very nice. Thank you. We need, however, he says, an educationally driven, but he wants it to be sector blind, needs based school resourcing standard for all schools. And he wants that to be based on hard evidence, and Trevor Cobalt is very good on hard evidence. And he also wants it designed to achieve specified and measurable outcomes, and he's pretty good on that too. And he wants it applied to all school sectors, agreed by the states and accepted nationally as the affordable, efficient and effective price of building our national stock of human capital. And then he says, well, that says it all. Well, dogs disagree with Trevor Cobalt. We think that his heart's in the right place, as is Boston's, Uh, but we disagree. It doesn't say it all. Boston's historical account represents a failure of administrators and politicians to confront, oh, and academics too, to actually confront the private religious sector, most notably the Catholic Church. Sector-blind arrangements are not and never were any answer to glaring inequalities of opportunity for children and national failures. Our institutionalised religious institutions have been playing the power game for millennia, while our public systems have only been with us for less than two centuries. And most of their uh, employees are hamstrung. They're not allowed to be political. Well, the dogs are. Some schools and some systems are more equal than others, whether you like it or not. Either private religious schools which are publicly funded are taken over, rationalised and made into genuinely public schools or they should have their funding taken away. A democratic nation cannot allow the wealthy to have their cake, eat it and then tell the poor to eat cake. Louis XVI and Marie Antoinette of France discovered that simple fact the hard way. And that next generation, that human capital of Trevor Cobalt, well, I think the dogs call them the natives, they're getting restless. Now, you'll find our press releases up on our website at www.adogs.info, www.adogs.info. And we'll have a little break little bit of music, and then Robert will uh, tell you about why up in New South Wales they think that 
the funding problems between private and public sector in education uh, has got the status of a, quote, war. Welcome back to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial and, of course, podcast on the WWWs. Thank you very much, Jean. It has been an extraordinary couple of weeks in education policy movement um, and people coming out of the woodwork to actually start to tell it the way it is. Um, The times are shifting. The dogs are no longer outliers in this debate. We are definably different because our position is really quite simple. Public funds should not be given to the provision of private education providers. It doesn't matter if they're Catholic, Protestant or um, 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 Donald Trumpian. We don't really care. Um, That's not where taxpayers' money should go because that doesn't have any benefit to the people of Australia. Um, As Jean was quite mentioning, there is now a war about to kick off. Now, it's not a war between the people and the churches. It's not a war between private schools and public schools. It's a war between various politicians because the system isn't working. As Jean quite rightly said, it's got to the point where the private school interests have got so greedy that it fundamentally means that in financial terms, every time you give a dollar to a child that needs it in Australia, a dollar apparently um, has to be spent on a child that does not. It's not a dollar and 50 cents, it's dollar for dollar. Every time you give um, some government money to a child in a state school because they have a disadvantage of one form or another so that they can actually grow up to be functioning and happy citizens of this great nation of ours, a dollar has to be given to a child that doesn't require it um, in a private school. And that's just functionally what's going on. That's what Ken Boston's saying. Our solution is very simple. Don't give the dollars to the children in the private school sector. Um, Everyone else is shifting around the deck chairs. Now, in New South Wales in particular, um, they're getting more energetic at their deck chair shifting. And they have indeed been prompted, as Jean said, by Ken Boston. In an article, actually, in the Fairfax Press um, on September 9th, Kelsey Munro outlined that Ken Boston, as Jean quite rightly pointed, said the whole Gonski debate is we should stop having it because it's dead. It doesn't exist. Um, Let's talk about something else now, which is unfortunate. It was a big waste of time as far as he's concerned. And it's unfortunate because he was one of the architects of the program. And this is what he's just said quite recently. Now, just to explain again to our listeners um, and to our new listeners too, um, school funding is actually now set to become one of the most important debates in Australian politics. Forget same-sex marriage, um, forget Indigenous recognition, uh, even forget those 
poor asylum seekers off on Nauru, Christmas Island and various, and was it Manus Island? Um, education is actually now about to become centre stage in the next two years. It's really quite simple. The hollowed out middle class are starting to wake up that they can't afford the private school's fees. And if they can't afford the mortgage and uh, the families fall apart, they now, if they go to the family court, can't force a husband to pay the private school fees <laughs> because there's a key case uh, in the last couple of weeks. So um, it's a very interesting situation that the middle class, the insecure middle class in Australia, currently find themselves in whatever their religious predilections. Well, yes, indeed. If, um, actually, perhaps Jean's right. Before we get on to discussing what's going on in New South Wales, I think it might, in fact, be useful to discuss that case because it's a very interesting one. Because, as, as Jean quite mentionedly right, uh, mentioned, not just this case, but what's happening is in the family law court, if it does get into the courts and does start to cost the taxpayers money, the whole question of public school versus private school is now becoming one of the main key battlegrounds that parents use when they're playing out when it, terms, when it comes to terms of custody of the children. Um, now, the court is actually getting, getting, starting to get sick of this. They start, the court's now saying, look, can you stop it? What you're discussing is not in the interests of the child. It's not in the interests of the children. Can you stop, you aspirational middle-class people, <laughs> battling it out over which school your child should be going to? Because the parents, um, this is quoted from an article by Bo Donnelly, the parents keep going on the cycle of trying to prove one school is better than another. Um, the irony is that every bit of research says kids from high-conflict families... <laughs> score much more poorly on all educational indicators. Um, and so the fact that they're talking about it is, in fact, of significant and serious detriment <laughs> to their child in the first place. It's a horrible irony, isn't it? Mm. And a lawyer, from, a lawyer from Slater and Gordon um, says, look, you say to the parents, look, you're fighting over this and your kid's going to end up on a gurney in a mental health ward as a suicide victim. And when you say that to the parents, they just look at you blankly. In one case, as Jean mentioned, before the Federal Court Circuit Court in Melbourne last month, a judge ruled in favour of a father who was philosophically opposed to sending his two children to elite private schools. The court heard that although the father's preference was for government schooling, he was willing to compromise for private tuition on the condition that his wife, um, who was a private school advocate, paid all the fees, totalling up to $60,000 a year. Now, the, these two parents in this case, who each earn separately $200,000 a year, accuse the other of family violence and illicit drug and alcohol abuse. But despite this, they agree to equal shared responsibility for their children aged 5 and 10. Now, the judge said in his ruling to the parents, were both actually concerned with minute and particularised financial matters and the money appeared to have grounded and permeated every issue of the dispute. Poor little darling. Yeah, indeed. Now, Melbourne lawyer Margaret Picard said, like most divorce cases that make it to a final court hearing, this was a relationship dispute that played out as a fight over money. And now the fight over money, because we live in Australia, is actually a fight over schools. And that in itself um, is, is a great sadness. It's, it's one of the effects of the way the education system in Australia works today. But we'll return, um, as, as we promised, to discuss this war, this education war that's going on between the federal and the state government after these messages. The Victorian Government LGBTI Community Grants Program has been established to foster the development of a sustainable and skilled LGBTI community sector in Victoria. The grants program consists of two funding streams, one for individual leaders and the other for organisations. The expression of interest process is now open. Please go to www.vic.gov.au forward slash equality for more information. A 3CR supporter. Yeah, Boston... I guess go back to Ken Boston, one of the architects of Gonski. He reminded the audience that what he was all about was social disadvantage is the biggest driver of poor education results. And it's been exacerbated by school funding arrangements for the past 40 years. Now, Gonski was designed to fix that and give every child a fair go, and that just hasn't happened. Now, he lands the blame for this policy failure at the feet of both sides of politics, saying that while Labor delivered more money for education, it also implemented a corruption of the Gonski report. 
Now, I would point out to our listeners that Ken Boston, um, when asked to give a talk on the same stage as uh, Merlino at the end of the state election, um, after being told that Merlino had unilaterally given the Catholic education system in Victoria a boost of 25% per annum on all the money as it received from the government, Boston um, refused to actually share the stage with him. He said, no, you, that's, that's, that's got nothing to do with Gonzi. Why are you giving him the money? Molino couldn't explain beyond the fact that Catholic schools were good. Now, I'm going to come back to um, Mr. Molino and this 25% because there has been some more information. This is all very complicated, the DOGS program today. We'll come back to that state-based issue, but we'll continue on talking about the fights between the federal government and the state government that's could, about to kick off. Could I say something there? I find that very interesting that Boston, who has had his career, is now prepared to not compromise on certain things because um, it's very difficult for people who are public servants and who are employed by the education department to actually not compromise when they're told to do so. Uh, Mr Boston started off um, his administrative career in Ballarat, at much the same time in the 1980s when, in fact, in the Catholic education system up there, there was a great deal of abuse of children. And um, at that time, and I can remember this very well because I was in the education department, I noted how friendly he was with the private schools in Ballarat. So Mr Boston has come a long way. Indeed. Thank you for that, Jane. That's an interesting bit of historical um, knowledge there that our listeners are, are lucky to have shared with them. Um, look, Chris Bonner, who's also involved in this process and is a good friend of the DOGS program, we've had him on many times, he said, look, we had a chance to do away the, with the interminable money squabbles between sectors especially. Gonski had a solution, but now uh, that's just gone. It's dead. The next conversation will be about redistributing the funding that's available. And that's an unhappy conversation because no one will agree as to what comes out of that. Now, that conversation, the war, is about to start on the 23rd of September when Federal Education Minister Simon Birmingham is due to sit down with his state counterparts and hash out a new agreement for school funding that goes beyond 2017 when even the shadow of Gonski finishes. Which is interesting. So 2017, no money goes to, to any schools in Australia because they've got no plan. It's just, what, what, what civilised democracy has no plan for the education of its children, um, you know, after next year? This is fascinating because um, the Financial Review said on Tuesday the 13th of September how wonderful the, um, uh, the coalition's education plan is. So what is the plan? Well, as the Labor Education Spokeswoman Tanya Plibersek puts it, uh, the federal government will be turning up to a ministerial meeting having cut $29 billion from schools, asking the states and territories to do more and expecting them to be happy with that. (laughs) Now, skirmishes have already begun amongst the stakeholders with a shot across the bow from the Australian Education Union. It released analysis by education academic Dr Jim McMorrow that found on the current model... The promised extra $1.2 billion, only $450 million, that's 38%, would go to public schools. The rest, 62%, would go to private schools. Now, the union's federal president, Karina Haythorpe, said the analysis showed it was clear the coalition had no commitment to needs-based funding and its plan would deny students the help they needed at school. Now, so here's the report. So what's the response? The federal government... The Catholic Education Office and the independent school sector all said, no, it's rubbish because it's all politics. They don't actually address the question at all. They say, well, you would say that, wouldn't you? And that's it. After they've paid politics and done their deals in the corridors of power. So if somebody else objects to the deals done, then they accuse them of playing politics. And how can they do that? Well, this article suggests that the complexities of politics and school funding make it almost impenetrable impenetrable to the casual observer. Well, um, dear listeners, the dogs are not casual observers. We've been looking at this, and they're depending on no one looking, and we are. And I'm going to highlight just sort of just some, some runoff on what's going on with this later on. But most people just want to know if their child's school is getting what's fair, what it needs to do the best for its students. But right now, depending on your school, that's just not happening. 
Similar schools in different states are getting different levels of support. And now, now, today, the clock is ticking. With states and individual schools uncertain about what the funding is going to be next year or the year after or the year after. Then they'll accuse our schools of failing and they'll bring in the hedge funds and their money to solve the problem with charter schools or independent public schools or... Uh, yes, we've seen it already in Western Australia and it hasn't worked. We've seen it in America and it hasn't worked. It just leads to more and more inequalities. Now, apparently, back in, remember back in 2013 when Tony Abbott went into the election on a unity ticket and Gonski was good? Well, of course, that fell apart and Gonski died that day. When the Education Minister, Christopher Pine, just said, no, we've changed our mind, we're going to renege on the Gonski deal um, that they'd previously made with the Labor government. Pine indicated the coalition would only find the first four years and then after that, oh, well, don't worry about it. Now, the final two years, that's 2018 and 2019, actually when the bulk of the money, the Gonski, you know, Gonski was now dead, the funds were supposed to flow. And, of course, now that's just been mucked up with the last election. Everyone's talking about this and that. that. And the Education Minister, Simon Birmingham, announced the Coalition commit, would commit $1.2 billion in additional funds for the final two years, which is about one-third of what was originally agreed. So much, much less. And whether that's going to happen, no-one knows. Now, some states have indicated an in-principle objection to tied grants. But in New South Wales, which has implemented many of the reforms already... It's the distribution model, how they will carve up the money that is at stake in this month's COAG meeting. If past form is in a guide, it's going to be really fiery. Now, Mr Bacoli up in New South Wales is concerned about the federal government has made noises about redistributing money between states in the existing Commonwealth budget envelope. And he says, and if it means they're going to take money off New South Wales then that's war. But I think Mr Piccoli is an interesting character. He's actually probably a very effective politician. He's worked out that as a politician, he gets elected in a democracy. And if he's going to get elected in a democracy, he needs people to vote for him. If he needs people to vote for him, and the current distribution model means that private schools functionally get more than 50% of any new monies when in fact they don't need it, then there's going to be fewer people around to vote for him. It's what Jean was saying about the insecure middle classes waking up having romanced about the glories of a state, state system when they need to and vilifying the state system when it suits their purposes too, um, are going to wake up and find that it's not going to be there when their little darlings need to go to school and they have run out of money. They don't have any choices and the mortgage mortgages have got them also into trouble because they're too high. That's right, when their god of choice has abandoned them. When Christopher Pine's um, wedding to the private school system, um, it becomes a divorce because they are not going to provide education for all the children of Australia. The private school system never wanted to, wasn't designed to, they're not interested in it. The private school system, as Jean often says, is, is a cancer on the education processes of Australia today. This becomes more and more evident as the more and more the cancer gets aggressive. Um, I consider it a far more parasitic um, relationship. Um, they are killing the host. The private school system at the moment is taking so much money out of the system that actually needs it, which is the state school system, that it's killing it. Now, there's extraordinary things that go on in state school systems, in, in, in state schools, teachers doing extraordinary work, and it's magnificent, actually. It's, it's magnificent to the point where state schools actually in Australia, despite the fact they've been vilified and defunded and cut and bashed in the papers and by politicians, um, the state school system functions as an extraordinary level to the point where, by any objective measure, it is as good as the private school system, even after all, even after all of those considerations. It really does. Well, of course, the host uh, is essential to the parasite. And, and at the moment, it really has gone too far. Now, um, I could go on about what, what, what Ken Boston said, and I can go on about this war, but I think we're going to have to wait for it to, to play out um, between, the, between the states and the federal government. Um, whether indeed we, the people of Australia, benefit from this war is a different question, but wars never, never necessarily benefit, benefit, the, um, benefit the civilians. Mm.
um, which is slightly worrying from our point of view. I'd like to actually return um, to what I promised before about discussing exactly what's going on with specifically Stephen Elder and the Catholic Education Office here in Victoria. Um, We've done some analysis and research on what's going on, and the Charities Commission have actually started to tweak to what's going on. And the vitriolic response from Stephen Elder to the Charities Commission um, is really something to behold in terms of reading it. It's extraordinarily vicious. But we'll be discussing the relationship between the Australian Charities Commission, the Catholic Education Office in Victoria and the State Government after some music. Welcome back to the Dogs Program. I'll listen to George Gershwin for our listeners to calm you down. Um, it's difficult to remain calm sometimes when dealing with policy issues in education Australia because there's so much stupidity going around. It sometimes makes your blood boil, but we never let our blood boil. We keep it simmering because, yes, the, the fight is long, but hope is longer. And the dogs, we've been here for a long time, and we're going to be here for a long time in the future. And hopefully at some point in the future we won't be needed because Australia will have a fair and equitable education system. Um, and there are models around. There is hope. There are countries that do it well, much better than we do it. So we keep hoping. But back into the ruck, back into the mess that is the brawl that's going on between the Catholic Church, the bishops, um, the Catholic Education Office on, on that side, and on the other side there's the Charities Commission regulator who are actually threatening the Catholic Church. They're actually threatening the Catholic Church tax-free status. It's extraordinary, Robert, because my understanding when I went to a whole lot of uh, talks about the Charity Commission was that the bishops were going in because they were quite com- comfortable that they could actually control the regulator, mm. as they usually do in these cases. So well, uh, they must have really gone over the top. They must have, they must have got under someone's skin. The, the arrogance involved, that's the arrogance involved in, in the Catholic Education Office's responses in this particular dispute. I have to be read to be believed. They're quite extraordinary. But just to give you the background, uh, the Charities Regulator has threatened the tax-free status of the Catholic Education Commission of Victoria after after the Catholic Education Commission urged parents not to vote for the Greens at the federal election. By the way, the Catholic Education Office also told people not to vote for the Greens at the state election. Catholic Education Office has been telling people what, how to vote for years and years and years. This is nothing new. I mean, in fact, that is one of the great levers that, that the bishops pull when they're trying to negotiate with government and get money out of them, our taxpayers' money out of them. The trouble is it's not working anymore. The Greens got in. Well, indeed they did. In fact, they got in. <laughs> well, they got in with increased majorities. So, um, yeah, the political punch and pull of the, of, of the Catholic Church or the Catholic Education Office um, is, is, is diminishing. Poor, poor Stephen Elder. He must feel quite useless. 
Um, anyway, the church responded to this by accusing the regulator of mounting, and I quote, a fishing expedition predicated on hearsay delivered from third-party media reports. And he, well, they actually went on to say, yeah, well, you would say that because you hate Catholics anyway, or words to that effect. You know, the old rhetoric, Gene. I'm sure you remember the old rhetoric. Of, you're only saying that because you're sectarian and you hate Catholics. Anyway... This exchange of letters, which I think is fascinating, it's actually available on the ABC website, this exchange of letters, it's marvellous, um, has been obtained by the ABC and comes amid an animated debate in the coalition about the charitable status of groups like the Australian Conservation Foundation and Environment in Victoria, both of which campaigned against Liberal candidates in the July poll. Now, neither a group... Neither group received a please explain from the Australian Charities and Not-for-Profit Commission, despite the coalition concerns they had engaged in campaigns against them. Now, before the election, um, the ACNC, that's the Australian Charities and Not-for-Profit Commission, reviewed its advice to charities and not-for-profits about engaging in political activities. Now, the brawl between the church and the regulator began in June 23 letter when the executive director of the Catholic Education of uh, ex-office, that's Stephen Elder, when he wrote to parents and carers about federal funding for Catholic schools. Stephen Elder said the Greens' policy on Catholic schools was highly problematic. While the Greens supported needs-based funding, the letter asserted the party's policies would undermine its school's funding, ability to teach disadvantaged students, and hire on religious grounds. At its worst, principals and school leaders would be forced to employ staff who could be openly critical of the Catholic faith and be able to express these opinions in our schools. Now, isn't that extraordinary? Well, if they want in this kind of level of independence, then they shouldn't take any state money. Exactly. Bang, hit it right there on the money. That's the point, isn't it, Jane? That is, in fact, the main point of the dogs. You know what? If you want to have a chat about whether religion is good or bad and all that sort of stuff, and you want to, want to take a bunch of children and tell them what's good and bad and all that stuff, then uh, quite frankly, if it's on religious grounds, you can go for your life. I'm not going to stand in your way, but don't take me money. Don't take my money and do that, because that's not what I want my money spent on. So Mr. Elder's quite saying, um, we don't want people having opinions that we don't like in our government-funded schools. And Mr Elder, um, no, it doesn't work that way. You can do what you like, just not with our money. Anyway, this letter sent out to Catholic parents concluded by saying there was a real chance the Greens could hold the balance of power in Parliament after the election, which could put commitments on the major parties, which could put commitments from the major parties at risk. Now, a fortnight later, the charities regulator wrote to the Catholic Education Office, citing media reports about the letter to parents and pointing to the regulator's guidance on political campaigning. Now, the charities mob were concerned to ensure that the activities of the Catholic Education Office of Victoria are not placing the charity at risk of being found to have a disqualifying purpose and therefore affect the charity's entitlement to registration as charity. ACNC Director of Compliance, Prue Monument. Now, Prue Monument, I think we'll have to find out more about her because she's the one that's leading the movement. Jean, you have something to say? Yes, well, you're looking here at Charities Law, which goes back, and um, the different heads of charity from the Pemsel case. It's really a, a great pity that um, the Pemsel case ever, ever had these four, four heads of charity. But some of the exemptions uh, or the reasons why people are not charitable is, in fact, if they have a political as well as a charitable purpose. Uh, and there's some case law this way, that way on that. And the Charities Commission is obviously interested in this. Uh, and I find it, I just find it very interesting indeed. Uh, one of the other uh, concerns is that they shouldn't have. Uh, business operations. They shouldn't be business businesses. And I thought that the case of the Bethel Funeral Group, it's a, it's a Christian group that certainly makes money over fist with funerals, um, they were allowed to keep their charitable status in spite of the fact that they make all this money. And, of course, the Seventh-day Adventists are into the business with the sanitarium as well. So um, these are very troubled areas in the 
in the um, law of charity. And uh, Stephen Elder, Elder's really weighing in as hard as he can go because he could get himself into problems here. Well, Mr Elder, it's interesting because in his reply, um, his reply was, um, look, we are the Australian Catholic Education Office of Victoria. We, are, we run the Catholic schools and we're run, and he says this, we are run by the bishops under canon law. They weren't prepared to say this in our High Court case. This was the one thing they would not say. But they're saying it now, Jean, which is yes. a significant shift. Stephen Elder said, I have to do what the bishops tell me to do, and the bishops have to obey canon law. Now, canon law, just, is just, just to stop any confusion amongst our listeners, canon law is not common law. Canon law um, is not the law of the land. It's not the law of Victoria. It's not the law of Australia. Canon law is the law of the Catholic Church. So Stephen Hill's defence is that I am doing what the bishops say. I am part of a hierarchy where I have to do what the bishops say, and the bishops have to do what is involved in canon law. And so therefore, everything I'm doing is fine and dandy. And it's fine and dandy because it's in canon and law. And we are a religious institution. institution. And this was exactly what they refused and said was not the case. They did everything to prevent this being uh, proved to be the case in 26 days in the High Court. Extraordinary. Well, in fact, it wasn't something Mr Elder was willing to do earlier this year when confronted by the Victorian Auditor-General. When he was confronted by the Victorian Auditor-General, the Victorian Auditor-General said, I please have a look at the books to find out what you do with all the taxpayers' money that the Victorian state government gives you. And Stephen Earle said, no. And the Auditor-General said, yeah, you got it. And Stephen Earle said, no. And then they said, no, actually, really, you have to. And he said, well, have a look at these then. And so the Auditor-General had a look at the books of the Catholic Education Office and came out with a damning report. They said, in essence... The money we've given to you that you've asked for to spend on these things that you say you're going to spend them on is not being spent there. It's being spent somewhere else. In fact, we don't know where the taxpayers' money that we give the Catholic Education Office is being spent, and that's of concern to us. It's opaque. It has the possibility for the taxpayers' funds being spent on purposes for which the taxpayer did not intend. And Stephen Elder said... Um, you're only saying that because you hate Catholics. Um, but he didn't say, I'm spending it where the bishops tell me to spend it and the bishops make decisions based on canon law. Now, he didn't say that at that time, but now he is. Now he is saying, no, 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 I am doing what I'm doing because I, my bosses are bishops and my bishops have to obey canon law. Now, the interesting thing, of course, is that the potential for corruption in an opaque system where canon law is, in fact, the law under which our taxpayers' funds are being spent, I think is deeply and highly problematic. It's called a state within a state, an imperium in imperi imperio in imperium. And this is what Inglis Clark, who put Section 116 into the Australian Constitution, wanted to avoid. And this is what the dogs argued when they took the state aid issue to the High Court on Section 116. And I find it very interesting that for 26 days, members of the Catholic Church in particular, and other churches too, uh, dissimulated, they did everything they could to say that the bishop did not run the education system, that the bishop had almost nothing to do with it. There were two bishops who got up and who told funny jokes and said the only time they went to schools or had anything to do with it was to have a little bit of fun with the children. Oh. It, was, it was an extraordinary exhibition. Oh, so this was in the 80s, wasn't it, where you're having people... 1979. 1979 this was happening, and you're telling me that in the High Court, these religious people say, we've got nothing to do with education, we just go to schools to have a little bit of fun with children in Catholic schools in 1979. <laughs> well, these days, if you talk about religious people going into schools and having a little bit of fun with children in 1979, um, in Ballarat, you, know, you probably get your head kicked in. <laughs> 
But um, after these messages, and I think we should have some more so we can be part of the great 3CR community here on the AM dial 855, um, I have one more little, and I think quite sad thing to share with the listeners. But then, of course, after we finish the program, the struggle goes on and we'll be here again next week. But just after these messages. From September the 19th to the 25th, the Earthworker Cooperative is walking 100 kilometres to the Latrobe Valley. We're walking for the creation of sustainable, dignified jobs, starting with Eureka's Future Workers Cooperative. We're walking so we can work our way out of the climate crisis. Sponsor a walker and support a just transition for Victoria's coal communities. Go to walkwiththevalley.org or follow Earthworker on Facebook for ways to join in. We hope to see you on the road. Earthworker is a 3CR supporter. Now, the Australian system of funding education um, has all sorts of problems, as we discuss here every week. But sometimes there's little problems that pop up that just make you, I don't know, make you have a little cry. I'm sorry, I, I just find this really, really sad. Because as many of our listeners would know, there has been a focus on mental health. Um, a focus on mental health across the community, and indeed youth mental health in particular. And Timmer Jacks, who's reporting in The Age on the 15th of September, um, has an article which on, on the face of it is just numbers, it's just statistics, but I find it quite sad. Because the number of students receiving special consideration for VCE exams is now higher than it's ever been. And it's actually raising concerns about student mental health. Now, that sentence in itself, we'll just leave that there because there's lots of ways you can, you can view that. But a record 4,000 students with disabilities and chronic illnesses and personal trauma received approvals for special consideration in their exams last year. This marked an, an unprecedented 64% spike in demand since 2010 when only 2,400 or so students were receiving special exam arrangements, such as rest breaks, extra time, technological aids, and, and readers to help them understand. Now, mental health experts warned that, warned that this trend mirrors the rising levels of anxiety and depression um, amongst Year 11 and Year 12 students bracing for high-stakes exams. Dr Peggy Kern from Melbourne University Centre of Positive Psychology Oh, I did say that sentence, didn't I? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not a great fine friend, friend of positive psychology. But in any case, Dr Penny Kern, who's a professor of it at Melbourne University, said most of the 2,591 students who were seeking special provision for a significant health impairment were likely to be suffering from mental health issues that manifested as stomach aches, chronic health issues and infections. She says... It's a lot easier for these students say, to say there's a physical cause that they can identify rather than saying there's something mentally wrong with me. Now, the pressure is getting more intense for students. There's an underlying message that is being increasingly communicated to students about schools needing to score well, schools needing to score well on tests. That's not students, that's schools. And now as we get into this article, we get to what I consider to be the sadness because with standardised testing, now too there's an underlying pressure on students to be the best and to keep up. Now, let's just find out, um, and I think it's important to talk about this, um, the number of students receiving special provision um, based upon the type of disability. Now, as we've said, there's a record 4,000 students. But over 600 of those are emergencies of one form or another. I mean, these have always been there. Um, there are some students that are hearing impaired. That's about 20 there are some students with a severe language disorder of one form or another. That's about 10. Um, there's some with significant physical disabilities, where that's, that's about 60 or so students. And there's students with specific learning disorders of one form or another, and I'm assuming that would include, include disorders like dyslexia. Um, and that's around about 420. And, of course, there are those students who, for one reason or another, good luck to them, I think, are visually impaired. I just, I just know a lot of really cool blind people. I don't think that's a disability at all. Um, but they are visually impaired, and that's really hard if you're sitting down in an exam and you can't read it because you can't see it. Um, yeah, that's, that's about 70. Significant health impairment as a category is 2,500. So that's significant health impairment non-specified. 
So we're not really talking about, in this case, increases in people who are blind or deaf or have specific learning disorders or who have had emergencies. They've all remained stable. It's this category called significant health impairment. Now, here we get to what I consider the really sad bit. The new figures from the Victorian Curriculum and Assessment Authority, that's the VCAA, reveal that more private school students successfully applied for special consideration than state school students. Now bear in mind, 60% of the students doing VCE in Victoria today are in state schools, and between 30 and 40% are in private schools. 1,600 government school students got special provision for their exam. Now bear in mind, Gonski, Gonski report definitively found that the majority of students, the vast majority of students who have specific health impairments or learning impairments or learning disorders or are visually impaired or can't hear very well or, or have severe languages, those are the kids that are in the state school sector because the private school sector won't enrol them. They don't want to touch them. I think it's well over 80%. Yep, well over 80%. So the kids who are in the schools, we know these children are in state schools, they're not in private schools. But when it comes to special consideration for exams, of the 4,000 students who received it, only 1,600 of those students were actually in government schools and nearly 2,300 of the students who received special exam arrangements were from private schools. Now, State School Secondary Principal President Julie Crow was asked to comment on this. And she said, Victorian private schools were actually better resourced. Well, I think we can agree that's the case. And if you're better resourced, you're better resourced to seek special provision for your students. So they're better resourced to get better resources. Yep. And it goes, and it goes on and on and the on. The resource-strapped state schools were less equipped to devote the literally hours of paperwork to submit special consideration forms and seek advice from medical practitioners. There seems to be an imbalance between the number of students getting special considerations in the private sector as opposed to government schools. And that doesn't come as a huge surprise to people working in the state school sectors, given the amount of resources that are required to get the child the special consideration. Now, we know the children who need the special consideration are in the state schools, and we know they're not getting it. We know that children who are in the private school systems are less likely to need it, and they're the ones that are. And that is just a simple resultant outcome of the way education works today in Australia. I just think that's sad. Anyway, Stephen Elder um, weighed into this. He weighs into everything. And he said, the rise of applications to special consideration in Catholic schools was just the same as everyone else. It's the, yeah, well, everyone's doing it, so we're doing it too argument. Remember that? Remember that at school? Remember that at school when someone when, when you get picked on by the teacher and went, well, everyone else is doing it? You knew it when you said it that you'd been caught out. You knew it, didn't you? Well, Stephen Elder, he's been playing that game all his life. Um, he's worked for him because he's got the power and he's got the bishops and he's got the canon law. But anyway, on a brighter note, we'll be back again next week because the fight has to keep going on to defend government schools. We are the dogs, the defenders of government schools. If you're interested in what we've been talking about, please feel free to contact us on our website, which is at www.adogs.info. That's www.adogs.info. But until next week, and we'll be back again, it's bye for now. I dreamed I saw Joe Hill last night Alive as you and me Says I, but Joe, you're ten years dead I never died, says he I never died, says he In Salt Lake City, Joe says I Him standing by my bed they framed you on a murder charge, says Joe, but I'm dead, says Joe, but I'm dead.
Jews killed you, Joe. They shot you, Joe, says I. Takes more than guns to kill a man, says Joe. I didn't die, says Joe. I didn't die. And standing there as big as life, and smiling with his eyes, says Joe, what they can never kill. Went on to organize. Went on to organize. From San Diego up to Maine, in every mine and mill, where workers strike and organize, it's there you find your hill. It's there you find. Mm-hmm.